Welcome to the Homeschool Loftcast, a podcast presented by the Homeschool Loft in De Pere, Wisconsin. Our goal at the Loft is to encourage parents who educate their children at home and let them know that they are both called to and empowered for the task of home-based education. At the Loft itself, we offer one-on-one consultations, book clubs and discussion groups, workshops and seminars, and a curriculum viewing library. Through the Loftcast, we extend our reach to encourage and bless homeschooling parents everywhere. My name is Tina Hollenbeck. My friend and colleague, Jenny Tetzner, want to take some time today to talk about homeschooling freedom. That's actually a very broad topic, ranging from the legal status of homeschooling to the day-to-day freedoms that we can and should embrace. And we're only going to scratch the surface of things today, just enough to pique your curiosity. But it's a topic about which we are both very passionate. And actually, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a quote by Ronald Reagan, and I looked it up. He said it in 1967 when he was being inaugurated as governor of California, and it is really so pertinent. He said, freedom is a fragile thing, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. It is not ours by way of inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation. Of course, in order to defend what we have, we have to understand from where we've come. And to that end, I want to take just a few minutes to give you a sweeping overview of the history of homeschooling, particularly in America. Jenny is here, by the way, and she's going to chime in if I miss anything or if I say something confusing, but I'm going to get that ball rolling. And I'm also, I think at the end, we'll take some time to give you some sources so that you can dig into the history more for yourself which you really need to do to model for your children what learning is all about, among other things. Right, Jenny? Yeah. So the first thing, and I know, Jenny, maybe you have something to add on this too, but the first thing to know about the history of homeschooling and the freedoms that we enjoy and that God really has given us as parents is that homeschooling is not new. People think that, but because it's kind of newer in the modern era in our memory as adults in America right now, maybe between the ages of 25 and 55 or something like that, but it is as old as time and it crosses cultures. I don't care who you look to in history, um, what culture, what people group, you're going to find that it is parents who have trained and educated their children for time immemorial in every single culture. We have this idea that we need to send our children to paid strangers because that's what we've experienced, but schooling, institutional schooling is the experiment and it's the new thing. And that's something that we really need to understand. Yeah. Jenny, do you know when this idea um, in Western thinking kind of came to be that we need to send our kids to paid strangers? Tell me. <laughs> You're sitting there with bated breath. <laughs> I, hey, I am just so everybody knows it's a hot day and I have some hot tea in our freezing basement <laughs> and I love listening and learning along with you about this because Tina has just poured out so much of her time into understanding the history of homeschooling. So I'm excited to hear it. Tell us. It's reading the resources. And so I'll give those at the end of this little part of our talk. So if I want to kind of focus on homeschooling freedom in America, I'm just going to hone in. I can't talk about the whole world. I can't talk about, you know, (laughs) millennia, but I can kind of hone in on Europe. Okay. Because that's where a lot of our ancestors, if we live in America, came from. Not all, obviously, but we have to start somewhere. Even as I'll say, the native populations in this country were obviously homeschooling their children all the way through. So there's that too. But in Europe, in uh, about the beginning of their industrial revolution, so late 1700s, early 1800s, that is the first time that the idea started to grow 
that parents should send their children away to strangers for education. Up until that time in Europe, it was a thing where you did it yourself or you maybe hire a tutor to come in if you were wealthy and teach your kids, but it was at home, just your children. And that changed in Europe around the time of their industrial revolution based on two things. People were moving from the countryside to the cities and they were working in factories. And so there was this element of we need childcare as we're working in the factories. And then the idea came to pass that, oh, let's model schools on what these factories look like. Mm -hmm. And so I, you will often hear me, I think, through different episodes talking about factory schools. And I'm not kidding. When you read the history of homeschooling and institutional schooling, it really legitimately is modeled on treating children like products on an assembly line yes. and standardizing them. Yes. I mean, kids take standardized tests. There's, a, <laughs> there's a, a deep history of that. And so that's where the idea uh, in Europe came from, as well as modeling schools on the Prussian military system. And you can go back and, and read about the Prussian military system. It was state of the art for its time in that era. And I mean, soldier upon soldier, maybe kind of akin to what we think of as like the Chinese army at this Mm. point, just completely regimented. You are not a human being. You are a product. You are to do exactly what you're told. And I'm not exaggerating and I'm not kidding when I tell you that what we now think of as traditional schooling was based on those two things, factories and the Prussian military. A shock. And you know what a word comes to my mind, which I've is just that uh, utilitarianism. Yes, right? yes, yes. Is yes. that where mm-hmm. it's just hard to, it's hard for people to wrap their minds right. around it, isn't it? Because right. we've been so indoctrinated yep. to think it, it was all for our good. Exactly. And you know what? I'm a former public school teacher. Nobody taught me this history when I was going through teacher training. I said this one of the previous episodes, and, and I think you have too, Jenny. We know there's lots of wonderful school teachers out there yes. who went into it because they love kids and they want to help kids learn. Yeah. Wait, can I stop you right there? Because yeah. I feel like we need to say this mm-hmm. to all of our listeners is, you know, when you hear us knocking the school system, I hope that nobody ties that ever into the fact that we're knocking the teachers. Right. Now, mm-hmm. there are good teachers and there are bad teachers, no matter how you slice the pie. Right. We, we ourselves mm-hmm. were teachers. So when you hear that, just know it's because of this history that we've both learned about. Yes. yes. It's which, the system. Yeah. It's the system. And the exactly. adults in the system are almost as much victimized as yes. the children, right? Because I, again, as a public school teacher, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know what I was contributing to. They just don't tell you that. Right. And so that was going on in Europe at the end of the 1700s, early 1800s. In America, um, from our colonial period on, education was still homeschooling parent-led education most of the time in their homes, um, educating their kids with a Bible and how do you figure out crop costs and things like that. That's where the math came from, right? Practical. Real life. Real life. Also, you're a shopkeeper. You're you're having your child help you run the shop, things like that, right? Again, some people, particularly in the South at that time, would have been hiring tutors to have their kids educated in at home, but it was, again, just their family. And we have this sweet little little house on the prairie thing going on with one room schoolhouses. And, and people want to say, well, see, there were public schools way back when. But I'll tell you what, that's not what we're talking about. That's a good point. Right. I mean, the one room schoolhouses, they were a real thing and they existed in some communities. 
but they were much more like what we would think of today as maybe a co-op or maybe a tiny, tiny private school because they were literally run by the parents in that community. And the teacher didn't, it wasn't up to snuff. The teacher was gone and the teacher had to teach the values of the community. Also, the kids were only in school for a few weeks at a time. Yeah. Couple weeks in the winter, couple weeks in the summer when they were not needed to help with the crops. Yes. That's it. Otherwise, the parents did all the rest of it at home. Mm-hmm. So, that one room schoolhouse thing, again, that's kind of more what we think of as a co op, not at all public school. So, the question is, how did all this public school stuff come to America, mm-hmm. right? Well, there was some of this Europe envy, which I think we still have at times, but it changed after the Civil War. I believe it was a man named Rahm Emanuel in about 2009. He said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And that's exactly what certain people did in the couple of decades right after the Civil War, when honestly, our country was in a lot of chaos, political, social, how many tens of thousands of people died Mm -hmm. all across the whole eastern seaboard. (laughs) And people that in our history books, if you look in a history book, they'll call these people progressives. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to tell it like it is. They were socialists. Good. So you're going to hear names like um, Horace Mann. John Dewey, those are the very famous ones, Uh, the Rockefeller family, all these types of people used the chaos at the end of the Civil War and then into a new century. There's chaos there, too. You know, some of you might remember Y2K and coming into, you know, the 21st century. There was a lot of fear and chaos coming into the 20th century. And so all of that and also immigration, tons and tons of immigrants coming from Southern Eastern Europe. And that was causing a lot of chaos here. And so these socialists use that to their advantage. Corruption at its... Absolutely. They wanted to promote the European idea of factory schools. And I'll tell you what, their goal, one of them said, I can't remember who said it, but it's in one of the source books that I'm going to give you at the end. One of them said that their goal in starting these factory style schools where we're standardized, we're huge schools, all of these different things modeled after the military was to separate the minds and hearts of the children from their parents and to, quote unquote, free the children from the shackles of religion. Mm. That's what they were really after. Mm -hmm. And they lied. They literally lied. Of course, they're socialists. They literally lied to the parents at that era. Um, It wasn't that homeschooling was failing. There's a man named Alexis de Tocqueville. He's not alive anymore. He was alive. (laughs) And he came to America early 1800s. And he wrote a book called Democracy in America because he went around and he interviewed people. He was amazed at the level of education among Americans in the early 1800s, amazed because people thought so well, they, they read well. So homeschooling never, ever, ever failed. But if you want to push the agenda of standardizing the children and separating them from their parents, you need to use chaos and crisis to promote your goals. And that's what these progressives slash socialists did. And so they fully used that to their advantage and got people to think that they needed to use the public schools. And the big lie that they told was they they went to the pastors, if you can believe this. They literally went to the pastors of that day, the Protestant pastors, and they said, you need to convince your congregation members to send your their kids to the public schools. Why? Because there's all these heathen immigrants coming over from Europe, and we need to convert them. And I'll tell you what, first of all, they weren't heathens. They were Catholic families coming from Southern and Eastern Europe. They weren't heathens. Secondly, the goal was always conversion, but not to Protestantism. It was conversion to secular humanism, to the socialism, all of that, but it worked. And pastors literally told their congregation members to send their kids away from home. Homeschooling wasn't failing. It just didn't fit the model. 
Fast forward a little bit. That never actually killed homeschooling entirely. It actually was criminalized. Homeschooling was criminalized in a number of states. In some states, it just went out of fashion. So people thought that it had become illegal everywhere, but it didn't. There were always some people homeschooling in some areas of the nation. Um, It just was not very well known. And that went on until the 1960s and 1970s. So there was this silent period for homeschoolers, probably from maybe the 1910s until the 60s or 70s. And I was just laughing when I read this history, because if you're a Christian, and you talk about the 1960s and 70s, we're like, that was a horrible time. That was the cultural revolution, right? Mm -hmm. Everything anti-establishment, we need to get over this, right? But it was a beautiful time for homeschooling because the hippies and the people who got saved and now they're Jesus freaks, but they're Mm -hmm. still hippies. Yeah. They saw that the establishment system of the public schools was not healthy. And they were thrilled to say, I'm not sending my kids there anymore. Yes, they were the first freedom seekers. <laughs> they really, were, right? they were. And I also laugh because people who think they know the, home, the history of homeschooling think, well, that was just, a, they say, right wing Christian movement. It actually wasn't. It was started by the hippies. Yeah. <laughs> One of their mentor kind of people was John Holt. And a lot yes. of people have heard that name, John Holt. He was actually a secular gentleman, not anti-Christian, just secular educational psychologist. He worked in private schools and he saw the same kind of alienation that the hippies saw and that they didn't want for their kids. And he said, we need a healthier way for children to be educated. Let's bring back home education. He knew the history. He said, let's bring it back. And then he ended up kind of informally partnering with a gentleman named Raymond Moore, who was a Christian, who was promoting the idea of Christian schools and homeschooling. And they worked together. Now, isn't that a concept? Here's a gentleman who is just secular in his worldview and a Christian man coming together to say, let's do something good for the good of children. And that's what they did. And uh, Dr. Moore appeared on Focus on the Family in 1983, and he talked about homeschooling, and that's where it took off. So actually, the hippies were well ahead of the game. They were doing it in the 70s. And after Dr. Moore spoke on Focus on the Family, the Christians kind of got the fire. He also spoke on an old TV show called Phil Donahue. Uh, some of Goodness. us will remember that, but that's a, that was a, just a Saturday or a weekday afternoon yeah. uh, talk show. So between 1983, so relatively recent history, but you need to remember, it's not that homeschooling went away. It was just dormant. Between 1983 and 1993, homeschooling came back in every single state and was legalized or re-legalized in every single state. And I think it's important to remember that It's not that the state gave us the right to homeschool. States recognized the natural right that we have always had to educate our own kids. And it's kind of funny. Jenny and I are in Wisconsin. Wisconsin was one of the first states to write a homeschool law. And I think that's really cool. The last state to do so was Michigan in 1993. And every single state through court cases and lobbying in that 10-year period, it became a legal option in every single state. There have been skirmishes since because there's always people who want to put a stop to homeschooling or regulate it. And of course, there's a big variety in the homeschool law in different states. We live in a state that is almost entirely, I don't want to say unregulated, there's regulations, but there's a lot of recognition of parent freedom to educate our kids as we see fit. Michigan, Idaho, Illinois, Texas, those are also some other states where the regulation is very reasonable, should we say? I think the very best state to homeschool in would be Oklahoma because they literally wrote the right to homeschool into their state constitution. It can't be undone just with a change in the legislature, which is great. And then New York and Pennsylvania are some of the 
most uh, strictly regulated states. And some of you might be listening from there and you're going to maybe email in and say, you know, no, it's fine here. I can homeschool here. Yes, you can. But if you've only ever been there, just know that the government does have their thumb on you quite a bit. And maybe it's time to kind of look into that and see if you can get the law changed to be more reasonable. But it's available to you. Homeschooling is available to you in every state, the freedom to do that. We can't take it for granted, though. We have to remember what Ronald Reagan said, because there's always people that want to, every legislative session in one state or another, they want to see if they can add regulation or even take it away. And so we always need to be mindful of that. So I don't know, I can give you the resources. I'll I'll list those sources. And then I know that Jenny's kind of chomping at the bit to talk about some other things about freedom. And you've been such a good listener, Jenny. Hey, hey, (laughs) this is what homeschooling is all about. I've read the things, so many different homeschooling books just in that John Holt that that was a huge one too yes. but you just explain it so well and you know just because I'm sitting here I don't know all the same facts that Tina knows and all of those things I don't have them all memorized so I love it I love history I love freedom <laughs> I love homeschooling it's been just really a better great. topic yeah at such a time as this that's right that's right said. so let me give you some of those sources yes. and then we're going to go into some of the stuff mm-hmm. that you want to talk about with freedom which yeah. i do too of course Good. so you all if you want to do the research on this you need to get and read anything and everything by john taylor gatto g-a-t-t-o memorize that name get his stuff okay he's written a book called dumbing us down weapons of mass yes. instruction and then his his magnum opus, I think that's how you say it, is The Underground History of American Education. That's where I learned what I just shared with you and so much more. You also need to get anything you can by John Holt. Um, he passed away in the late 70s, um, very young man. He just got cancer and it was, he was gone, um, which is tragic. But he wrote a lot of good things and people that um, love his stuff are still publishing it. So Teach Your Own, How Children Fail, How Children Learn. Those are some of his titles. There's a book by Israel Wayne, who we hope to have on our podcast someday soon. He wrote, Education, Does God Have an Opinion? That will help you if you are looking for a biblical justification for homeschooling and need some evidence. And then there's some really cool history books about the history of homeschooling. There's one called Homeschool and American History by Milton Gaither, G-A-I-T-H-E-R. Another one called Homeschooling in America by Joseph Murphy. And then Homeschooling in New View by Bruce Cooper. There's also a website called the National Home Education Research Institute run by a gentleman named Brian Ray. And he has a lot of actual research on there, but historical research. And so there's tons and tons of stuff that you can get on homeschooling freedom uh, from his site. So those are just some sources. But yes, Jenny is chomping at the bit to talk about some other aspects of homeschooling freedom. Where do you want to start, Jenny? There, there are so many things that we need to touch upon. Mm-hmm. You know, when I... We could I, be here for like two hours we today, could. right? <laughs> we really could. You know, one of the biggest things that is near and dear to my heart is the pacing. Mm-hmm. And when we say pacing, you know, we know that as human beings, we all learn at a different rate. Mm-hmm. Now, I went to a public school. I actually went to a private school and then a public school. You know, there are certain subjects that weren't my favorite Mm -hmm. and but I never looked at it like oh they're not my favorite and that's just why I'm not doing you know not doing well no let's take math Mm -hmm. the pacing of the math was continuous and it seemed like for me the other kids would be 
maybe, you know, starting chapter three, when I would just be finally understanding chapter two or even chapter one. And so I turned that into something's wrong with me. And this is a true story, especially in high school. I mean, I really felt like there was just never any slowing down. I mean, I would raise my hand. The teacher could help, but there's an agenda and things need to be done. Well, because you're on an assembly line. Yeah. You, you, and it, you know what? Let's just think about the teachers who really do care because there's so many of them. They don't have a choice. They don't. They must keep pushing, pushing, pushing forward or they will be in trouble. And recommend summer school. Yes. Or they'll get their, their evaluations. You know, yeah. if, if they're classes don't get quote unquote far enough, then that screws up the next year's yes. teachers and they get reprimanded. Exactly. And so there's a ton of pressure yeah. anytime you treat human beings like products on an assembly yeah. line. And so when you have that whole feel going on for just not one subject, but you're thinking, oh gosh, I'm now comparing myself to all the students in the class and thinking, how come, how come I'm only good with, you know, music? That's the only thing I'm good at. I'm only good at the one thing. And What's been great about, you know, for us with homeschooling, now we know this is not separate from life. You can have 25 people in the same room. None of them are at the same level with anything. Not one thing. Nothing you talk about. In real life, you mean. In real life, Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. And what's been the best thing about homeschooling is just for my own children going into it, I knew this. Mm -hmm. This was a freedom that I had. Yes. You do not need to be, you know what? We don't now on a lot of the curriculum, there are age ranges or, you or know, grade levels, grades, grade right, levels. Right. But I taught my kids right out of the chute. Grades are for meat. And here's what we do. <laughs> yes. Sometimes I would cover it up yes. on the book or mm-hmm. I would say, you know what? It doesn't matter. And they know that mm-hmm. it's 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 information on the inside yep. that we just want to learn. We want right. to learn that it doesn't matter if you're in high school and you still aren't good with, you know, fractions fractions or memorizing your multiplication tables. Here's the thing. We are going to do this. And actually my kids were good with memorizing, (laughs) but, (laughs) but if they weren't, but if they weren't, we could do that. And so that was such a freedom near and dear to my heart because that one thing called pacing sets the whole scenery up as to what you view. And either your scenery is going to be, I'm always a loser. I can't catch up. Everybody's ahead of me, or it's going to be when I know it, I know it well, and I feel confident Mm -hmm. to go forward. Mm -hmm. And that's... Well, and you know what? That's huge because I can't emphasize it enough. We are free from having to use the public school system as our model. And I talked to, you do too, talked to so many parents who feel like my kid's going to be behind compared to the public schools. Always. Well, Behind or ahead. They always exactly. say those two you things, know, right? You kind of say it pridefully, my kids yes. are ahead. Right. That's no better than thinking that you're it's behind. True. They're both bad because it's not yep. about comparing child to child. That's immoral. It's, it's unbiblical. It is. It's wrong. And I'm just going to say it that, yeah. that openly. Um, I'm getting worked up right yeah, here right? because this you know, is a, a the, hot topic. The public school system has nothing to do with mm-hmm. your children because you are called to equip each child individually according to how God has wired each child. And I just want to ask, if you're a Christian, who do you trust, the public school system or the God of the universe? That's exactly right. If your child never masters Algebra 1, you've tried it, you've introduced it, you realize this is something that he or she is not called to master, not called to a STEM career, are you going to trust that God knows and you can graduate that That's child right. with confidence and not worry about it? Yes. They just don't need algebra. There's no sense in bringing the child down. You know, it. 
There's it's not that we don't make them try. Exactly. But there's a certain point when you see how a child's wired and you can relax and say, I trust God's design. That's exactly right. And oftentimes when they're not ready at that time, fast forward the future, mm-hmm. there was a book that Madeline had. It was a big, huge, thick, hard history story, if you will. It was written kind of as, um, you know, not, not necessarily a novel, but just a story. It wasn't a textbook. Okay. And looking at that book, she said, no, not interested. And she would be the first to say history is not her main thing anyway. Who would have ever dreamt that actually in her senior year, she came up, which was this past year, mm-hmm. but in the, in the beginning of the year, she came up to me and said, mom, do you have that book on your <laughs> shelf still? And I said, yes, actually I do. Well, then it's funny because she went on Amazon and ordered another the second volume of oh, it. Gosh, so really? <laughs> I think it was William William Bennett. Some it doesn't remember. matter. But it I mean, so really she matter. wasn't ready at a certain point just for she came upon it herself. Whatever, and she chose it herself when she was a right. couple more years mature, yep. and she just had some more interest, right? And that's totally okay. And well, she and even skills. You know, one of my daughters, Rachel, uh, is not a natural speller, which is highly interesting and, and hilarious because she's a poet and an essayist. But when she was a little girl. Um, it was really difficult. I have since learned she certainly isn't stupid, my goodness, and she doesn't have a learning disability. And not that that is bad if your child does and you know that, but I, I just didn't believe that she did, right? Yeah. I have since learned that she's a right brain learner, which means that she sees whole to part. Yes. And I've always known she has incredibly sensitive hearing. So what would happen is why she was not spelling correctly when she was younger, more immature, her brain needed time to develop, was that she was hearing extra sounds. Like when we're talking here, she was hearing nuances of sound that most of us don't hear. So she would try to plunk all these extra letters into the words when she was spelling. And I was like, where are you getting that from? There is no eh in there, but she would hear it and she'd write it. Well, one day, I kid you not, we were working on it and because spelling is a skill, right? You need to be able to spell to survive well in, in, in life. And so we were working on it. She was making progress. And one day, I kid you not, she was 13 years old. She woke up one day, came downstairs. We were working on spelling and she could spell Mm. pretty much just like that. Yeah. And anything that was still like some double vowel, sometimes we still have things like that. That just kind of fell together. So here she was in, you know, if I would have thought back, you know, seventh, eighth grade, whatever that was, Mm. we didn't keep track of that. Yep. And that's when it clicked. Yep. She certainly wasn't slow and behind. She just needed that time. Yes. But so often... That is the mentality that we have as parents because that's what we know. We've been indoctrinated. So it becomes this thing, no, you need to potty train now. You need to learn to read now. You need to do this now. And you should be doing this. And oftentimes, even worse, is you might do a Google search that says, what should my five-year-old be doing? No, 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 no. First of all, how is that even, like, let's use our logic here. How is that even possible that you can have a checklist And that this human being that God created would measure up to the human somebody's standard to say, this is exactly what you do. Right. That person, the child's not a product on an assembly line. (laughs) And then they suffer. The child suffers and you suffer and it's just a mess. Let's move forward with this. Freedom talk. Yes. Freedom from um, following the school schedule. Yes. Let's talk about that one. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Freedom from following the school's schedule. Tell me about that. What is that for you? Okay, so, I mean, we did a year-round schedule, but I'm thinking of the parents that I've been talking to recently where maybe it's um, a two-parent family, but for whatever reason, they're both needing to work. And maybe one, you know, has a 
first shift schedule, the other second shift, or maybe it's a single parent and they're, they're working, but they're like, well, I work days. And so therefore I can't homeschool. Uh, My goodness. Yes, they can. There's nothing magical about the hours of between 9am and 3pm or 7.30 and 2.30, the way the the high schools are around in our town. There's nothing magical about Monday through Friday. This is kind of like a (laughs) cognitive dissonance thing. People think, um, or dissonance, I think you say it, where you just can't believe something because you've pretty much been indoctrinated to believe something else all your life. Mm -hmm. That is so true with right now, newcomers, Uh new homeschooling families who are working saying, I know they can't be in public school. I need to get them out, but I don't know how we're going to do it. We can't do it. I work these hours. But the truth is, walking down the way, sitting at the table, at the dinner table, whenever, however you normally parent. I think we mentioned this actually. I mean, you may need to find childcare during your working hours, but you can do the academic stuff of homeschooling when you're home. Yes. And again, it doesn't have to be those 180 days between September 1st and May 31st. Um, You are free to customize your schedule for your family, for your children. Did you ever hear of that um, or see that picture, hear the story about the elephant that Mm -hmm. stayed there in But the elephant only had a string, wasn't it? Yes. Like the Mm -hmm. elephant only had a string tied around its leg. Right. It totally could have overpowered. It was a thin chain, but obviously an elephant could have broken away. Exactly. And it was free to go the whole time, but didn't. It didn't. And isn't that us? Oftentimes with all areas of humanity, right? (laughs) The the thing is, is what we're talking about is with these homeschooling freedoms, Mm -hmm. and especially this one with parents saying they have to work so they can only, because it's been indoctrinated into us mm-hmm. we can only function between <laughs> school can only have <laughs> learning i should say right. can only happen between let's say 7 a.m 8 a.m until 3 right on monday through friday 180 days a year. that's right right mm-hmm. we would never ever dream of doing anything mm-hmm. learning related on a saturday <laughs> You guys, that's not true. No, you learning as always 365 days a year however for as many hours as your kids awake we're right? free. We <laughs> yes. are free. We don't Absolutely. have to be, you know, when we're set free, we don't have shackles on us, but there right. we stand. Yes. And that's, we don't want to do that. We have, no. we have. You need to realize freedom. that you can break free of that little chain. Yeah. Right. You can learn anytime you want with your family. Right. If you right. work a full, a full-time eight hour, eight hours a day job, listen, you're still the parent. That mm. would be equally bizarre, right? To think, well, it would be equally bizarre to say, I just don't know when I can be a parent. <laughs> I just have no idea. I have a full-time job. When wouldn't dream of saying that? You would right. find ways. I know you would because you love your children. Right. So you would find ways. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing. All of life is learning. Yep. It's, it's just, seriously, it's a matter of breaking free from the cultural norm that we know of as factory schooling. Yeah. But we're free of that. Yep. So we just have to remember it. It's a daily thing. Put it, put a post-it note on your bathroom mirror. I am free. Yes. <laughs> Wherever you need to stick them all or over the you place. You can actually write with erasable marker. Can I talk about this next one? Sure. We're, we're both going to talk about it, but this is, <laughs> oh, this is a big one. You guys freedom from labels. And I'm going to say all three of them right off the bat. Cause they all go together. They do freedom from labels, bullying, peer pressure, free. When you are home together as a family learning and growing, you have love. Your children are indoctrinated with the love that you give them. If they can't perform something, a task or something new you're showing them, you don't bully them. You don't name call or spit at them or say, 
you know, any bad thing, there's love there. And, you know, when we're away from our children, if you weren't homeschooling and your children are sent to a public school, that's not a promise, you guys. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is you can't stop it. I don't care how many parents join hands and say, we're, we're standing against bullying. Mm-hmm. It's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And here's another thing is your children will always be labeled. That's the way of the world. There's always a label. That's why all of these, you know, kids are on medication. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you look back in the day, were those names of things wrong with your children? Was that a thing then? Not to my knowledge. No. Kids were kids. It's the labels have increased over time, right? Like so many things. So I have a story, personal, Tell me. personal story yes. about that. Yes. Um, I went to public school for my whole entire life uh, from kindergarten until the end of sixth grade. I was in a particular community that was a suburb um, of a large city. And then between sixth grade and seventh grade, we moved to a little country town. And so my school that I actually went to from then on had about 40 kids per grade. And so seventh through 12th grade was in one building for that second school in that little town. So I had a pretty, well, I was going to say a pretty unmemorable school experience in elementary school. But the more I think about it, no, I mean, I was bullied. I had one friend because everybody else bullied me. There were some bright spots. But what stands out for the purpose of this story was my sixth grade year. They had two teachers assigned to that grade. And so there was one teacher for um, language arts and history, another teacher that taught the math and the science. And I did fine in the language arts and history. And then I went across the hall for math and science at different points in the day. And before, I don't even remember what my grades were before that year, probably just normal, middle of the road, whatever. I got straight C's and D's in math and science that year. And it got worse as the year went on. And I felt horrible. I felt like such, such a dummy. I felt so miserable by the end of the year that I one day wrote a bunch of answers to a test on my arm on some stuff in one of these lift up desks where you could like look in there because I was like, I'm desperate. I'm not going to be able to pass this test or whatever, probably a math test. I don't know. And I felt horrible about myself. I also knew there was something wrong with that teacher. And I know it now because when I think about it now, he never taught anything. At the time, you blame yourself. But what I can know now is I would walk into that classroom for math and science and all he had done was write a bunch of lecture notes on the board for both classes and you had to come in, sit down, copy them down and do your mm. homework. So what was the learning there? Mm-hmm. But, and I'm sure I wasn't the only Where one was the who passion? felt. Yeah, I'm sure I wasn't the only one who felt like an idiot at the end of that right. year. But I moved. Exactly. Okay, so I moved that summer, but my grade report came with me. And so this little country school looked at these grades and said that this girl is a slow learner. She is dumb, whatever it is. And they were doing tracking at that time, labels. Okay. Kids are always tracked, but it was a very much of a tracking kind of thing at that time. They had two classes for each grade level and they put me in the dumb class Mm. because of my grades from the sixth grade teacher who wasn't teaching. And I carried that with me. But then I heard a girl in the, in the lunch line from the smart class. I didn't really realize that there were labels. Okay. But I just saw that girl and she was talking about the kids in the dumb class. And I was like, I am not dumb. So it hadn't gotten through to me so far where I thought I was dumb, but I was like, I shouldn't be in that dumb class. Yeah, you just knew in your right? heart. But here's the thing. I, I was only damaged a little bit, so I fought my way out and I got myself, I talked to the science teacher at that school and I said, what does it take to get into the smart class? I'm not dumb. Even as I'm saying that though, I'm cringing because yeah. I knew those kids. I got to know those kids in that school, in my grade in particular, but all the, all the grades. The kids in the quote unquote dumb class were not dumb. Mm-hmm. They so were not dumb. I'm right, still connected with some of them and they are amazingly brilliant people. 
Absolutely. How terrible that there was any of that tracking. You guys, have your kids been labeled? I know that um, every kid that's been to a public school has been labeled. Yeah. It's true. I'm not making it up. In some way, shape, or form, they've been labeled. Mm-hmm. Hey, guess what? Of all the things to remember, this is what happened to me. My mom and dad still have my report card. Oh. From kindergarten. Oh, my word. You guys, kindergarten. Okay. So five, six years old. Mm-hmm. I kid you not, on my report card, Mrs. Blaney was my teacher, it says, Jenny tends to talk too much. (laughs) It says that. It says, Jenny tends to boss the other kids around. You guys, (laughs) here's the thing. That is a label. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that started right from, Jenny tends to talk too much. I love talking. You bet your bottom dollar, (laughs) Mrs. Blaney. I love talking. And isn't that, be a light. Yeah. People are my thing. I absolutely right. adore. Well, and isn't that the thing? Here's, so here's the freedom in homeschooling. We see certain ways that our children are wired in one way or another. And so you just see it, right? We don't have to slap a label on it. No. But rather than saying it's a negative, okay, yeah. Jenny talks too much. We can. Jenny bullies the children. Oh my goodness. I think but, she but, lied. But, you we, guys. Can, but we can maximize our children's strengths. No, not and bully. She said I, t- I bossed the boss, kids around. Okay. Right? But, but instead of saying, you know, if you were homeschooled as a, a kid, Jenny, it wouldn't have been Jenny talks too much. It would have been your mom and dad noticing that you love to talk and yes. you love to engage with other people. And so they, they could have, if, if you'd been homeschooled, they would have yeah. maximized that and harnessed that. Setting me right? on a course for that. And you know what? Guess if, if you were, if you did tend to be bossy, I don't know. I didn't know you when you were five. <laughs> They could have harnessed that as well, and they could have discipled that and trained you and helped you to make that possible weakness into a strength instead of labeling a child and saying he or she is this, that, the other thing. I never told Rachel that she was, quote unquote, a bad speller ever because I didn't want her to get that in her head. We just worked on her spelling, and then the one day it clicked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about... And this will be our last thing. We could go on and on and on and on. But we are going to talk about this one last thing. And that is called freedom from the frantic rush of life. Mm -hmm. Yikes. How many of you feel like you're just too busy? And okay, let's be honest, Jenny. As homeschooling parents, did we have things like that where we felt too busy? Yeah, we did. We did. We really did. But that was self-inflicted, wasn't it? We did it to ourselves. Right. So not that that never happens in a homeschooling family. But as a homeschooling family, you have the freedom to step back. Yeah. I want you to tell your family's story of stepping back yes. because you had the freedom to do yes. it, Jenny. You know, a long time I did kids ministry at a church, a really great church here where I live. And I absolutely loved, loved every aspect of it. It was just a crucial point into my life. I also taught other people's kids, you know, through classical conversations and things like that. So I was always working with other people's kids and, you know, all of those things have schedules and Mm -hmm. I have two children of my own. And oftentimes because I just adore people and I I love teaching, I would pour out my whole heart to other people's children. And, and sometimes, you know, we used to joke about it because you'd, you'd get, have to hand out flyers or something to parents (laughs) or brochures or whatever, paper slips times, you know, and I would, my kids would come home and they'd say, Mom, we never got one. <laughs> and I would think, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. But the truth of the matter is, is um, that was a frantic rush of life. And it took me many years to come to the point where God would just lay on my heart. It's, it's time for you just to step back from all of it mm-hmm. and to be fully there all the way with your own children. 
you know, it's funny even as a homeschooler that we can do that because we can. You really, had the freedom. freedom. To, you you had freedom to learn to it, it, but you right. had the freedom versus if your kid is in a school, you're at the mercy yeah. of that schedule and you can't get off that, that hamster wheel. Especially right? the earliness, the catching the bus, yes. mm-hmm. all of those things, forgetting things. And so, you know, but we have such freedom. That was just a good lesson into right. my life because, you know, whenever Tina and I talk to you, we never want to come across as we have all every single answer and we know all the things. We've lived this life, mm-hmm. this beautiful life of homeschooling. We've made mistakes and we've risen again. Mm-hmm. And so that we can share it with you. And let's just think homeschooling. Maybe you've been thinking a lot about it these days. Maybe those thoughts are altogether overwhelming. So much has changed in your original plan of how school was going to look for your family. And now you know it's time to embrace this new current of change that we see happening right now. But you feel torn, like you're about to turn the most basic of family traditions on its head. You know, things like school days, school pictures, field trips, packing lunches, making fancy birthday cupcakes for the whole class, new backpacks and new shoes. It was all something that was part of the plan. I just want you to know, friend, that you're right. Those things seem like they've been a crucial part of the big picture. But is sending your children off for eight plus hours a day for 12 years actually the wholesome way to create beautiful memories that your children will look fondly upon? Homeschooling offers more than that, you guys. That's why we do this thing. That's why we do this podcast. Homeschooling is natural. You and your children will grow closer. You will experience opportunities you would have never had the chance to if you were separated during your child's most formative years. Like Tina said, homeschooling is not a new idea. (laughs) It's the way it used to be. It's organic and it's natural parenting. It's living life to the fullest with your family. And it is never, ever, ever separated from learning. I know you have questions. We have a lot of people come to us with questions. Mm -hmm. That's why we began our ministry at the Homeschool Loft. We absolutely love helping parents discover that they already have everything it takes to be a successful homeschooling family. Mm -hmm. I want you to know that you are enough. Mm -hmm. God has called you to parent your children. He's the freedom maker. He's the one that's given us freedom. No longer are we under the constraints. No longer are you under the constraints of somebody's idea of how your children should learn. Let's not be the elephant Mm -hmm. that's been free the whole entire time. You can be free. You are free. Thank you so much for tuning in whatever time you did today, morning, noon, night. You're even free to do that. (laughs) And I hope that your day, night, afternoon is blessed beyond measure. 